0: Time to talk college athletics with Shahan Jayaraja from CBSSports.com on ESPN Central Texas.
1: And welcome back to the Press Box here on ESPN. Ward Weint and Aaron Sexton along with you. Nick Saban on ESPN right now. That's always intriguing. Pretty cluttered desk there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <we've got laughs> that was the first thing we, you stuff noticed. Stuff all over his desk. <laughs> <laughs> Not a neat freak. <laughs> Joining us now, as promised from CBS Sports, is Shehan J Aranja. Shayhan thanks for the time today. How are you doing today, man?
0: I'm doing great. I'll tell you what. One of the funniest parts about the pandemic has been going in and having people do their like home hits and seeing men. They really keep their place a mess, don't
1: they? <laughs> <laughs> they do. It's unbelievable. I don't know how you can find anything on that desk. Shehan, you and I haven't had a chance to talk since Big Twelve media days and and catch up a little bit. And so far. In the college football season, there's been some wild things that's gone on in this season, maybe some unexpected. But what's the biggest surprise of this young season that you've seen so far?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been crazy so far. I think that's fair to say. Obviously, you have to mention the Colorado stuff. I mean, we, we can talk about the off-field stuff, but starting 3-0, and just it, purely on the field, is a pretty unbelievable start for that team. They obviously had to play two Power 5 teams, including TCU on the road, and I, I've been very impressed with what they've been able to do so far. So that's a huge one. I, I've also been incredibly impressed with what Notre Dame has done so far. Mm-hmm. Obviously they had high expectations with Sam Hartman coming in at quarterback, but he's been even better than I expected. And I was probably hyping him up this off season, as much as anybody. He's been unbelievable. Obviously up a big time matchup this upcoming weekend uh, against Ohio state. And on the flip side of it, I mean, what has happened to Alabama? I was, lower on them coming into the year than most. I had them closer to 10 in my preseason rankings than I did in the top three like they started, but they haven't looked like a top 25 team so far this season, and certainly uh, it's going to be another good test for them against Ole Miss to sort of see where exactly they stand, especially with Jalen Millro in the lineup, but certainly this is not the Alabama that we are used to seeing, and frankly, you probably have to go back to 2007 to find the last time that an Alabama team ever looked like this.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, when was the last time you've seen Alabama out of the top 10?
0: Yeah, I I mean, so the last time that – I believe they might have had a moment where they were out of the top 10 in 2019 after losing uh, their second game. But the last time that they were as low as 13, you have to go all the way back to September of 2015. Now, the thing I'll mention is that when I say September 2015 – that team ended up winning the National Championship, so don't <laughs> count them out too soon. But it has been a very long time.
1: When you look at what this season has brought us in, and let's go to Colorado because you mentioned them first, and I think that that is the biggest story in college football right now, what Dion has been able to do. It's really no surprise that this team has been able to put it together because, look, Dion is Dion, and he's been a winner everywhere he's been. But to turn over a roster like that and get off to a three and zero start is pretty incredible, isn't it?
0: It is. And again, look, we can have the conversation about sunglasses and all, all this other stuff, but I but think that's just Dion. Doing, that's just Dion. And I, I think that you have to look at what uh, the way that it's translated on the football field. Because look, he hired two great coordinators. Uh, when you talk about Sean Lewis on offense and Charles Kelly on defense. And and I want to be clear, this team has flaws. Some of the stuff that we thought were going to be issues have been issues. They rank bottom five nationally in rushing yards per game. Mm -hmm. They've struggled against the run. I mean, they are not firm in the trenches right this second, but they've been so well coached that it hasn't mattered that much. They've been able to take the game to the outside. They've been able to use the short passing game to compensate for some of those rushing issues. Obviously Dylan Edwards, a true freshman running back from Derby, Kansas. Uh, has been able to really do a lot of damage as a receiver, even though obviously they haven't been able to run block at an elite level to this point. So, look, I, I've said it all year. I, I said it after the TCU game. This looks like a team that looks like a six- or seven-win team to me, and, and I mean that with the biggest compliment in the world. This is not a team that's won six games since, I believe, 2016. I, I mean, it is an unbelievable turnaround after 1-11. and And if they were to get to a bowl game, ju- just a bowl game, I think that Deion Sanders deserves to be coach of the year. I I mean, he is, I I think what he has done has been unbelievably impressive. Obviously, they're going to be tested this upcoming weekend going against Oregon. That's a different type of team than they've played so far. But frankly, you know, nothing that happens this weekend can really deter me from the fact that Colorado's been uh, one of the biggest stories in college football and and deservedly so.
1: Say, Han, do you think there is college football coaches out there that are kind of turning their head a little bit and going, wait a minute, maybe this is a good blueprint?
0: Well, I think it's it's a mixed thing, right? I, I'm curious what people are going to take from it because there is the piece of flipping 70 scholarship players. I think that not many coaches can necessarily do that. We did see, obviously, Baylor did week one. G.J. Kinney kind of did a similar thing in Texas State. But I do think, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what pieces people work in. I, I do think that the transfer portal can be a useful thing for first-year uh, coaches. I don't think it's going to be as successful when you're not bringing in Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter <laughs> necessarily, so mm-hmm. I have caution uh, teams and programs from that. One piece that I really hope that some coaches will take away is, like, guess what? There are things that you can do with your program to market it in a way that makes people care about it. No one is Deion Sanders. I, I don't want people to get in their head that they can do that, but Uh, You know, certainly I'm a little biased speaking as a media member, but having access to the program, having stories with the program, being a little looser with the media, being a little looser with, uh, you know, rivalry, trash talk and things of that nature. I mean, this is a sport that's built on being fun. Everybody wants to see what this program is going to do next, obviously off the field, but then it translates to on the field too. So, you know, obviously when you look at some of the top great coaches in college football, you see a Nick Saban, you see a Kirby Smart they're incredibly buttoned up, but I'll tell you what, if you're not Alabama or Georgia, there to me is, is little excuse to not open up your program and have fun with it and, and embrace some of the culture side uh, of college football as well. And, you know, so it'll be interesting to see if other coaches and other programs ultimately try to do the same.
1: Shador Sanders, if they go on the path that you say they win six games, does he still – have a shot at being one of the finalists for the Heisman?
0: You know, when we talk about Heisman, I think that that's probably a little tough. Um, you know, just because, again, like Heisman is, is typically an award that's about the story of the season. And it's about, uh, you know, which players have elevated their teams, which players have transformed their teams, which teams have taken their teams to the highest level. So, you know, I, I think he would still be able to finish top 10 in Heisman. But the the other thing that I'd point to as well is that I think that Shador Sanders is also playing himself into the first round of the 2024 NFL draft if he wants to do that. Now, there was some talk uh, from Deion Sanders. He had an interview with Taylor Rooks over at Bleacher Report where he said, look, we don't need to rush Shador to the NFL. You know, he potentially could come back in 2024 if things are right and while, like, obviously in 99.9% of cases, if you're a first-round pick, you got to run and take it, mm-hmm. I, I do think there's some merit for, for Sidor Sanders. One, obviously being able to continue to elevate that program. And, again, this is their transitionary roster. They haven't even had an opportunity, an opportunity to bring in their own full recruiting class. So they're going to potentially have a chance to do that in a big way this upcoming year. And the other thing, too, is that this potentially could be a really, really – top-heavy quarterback class with Caleb Williams and Drake May and Quinn Ewers, and then you even look at Michael Penix and you look at Bo Nix and all of these guys, when you start looking at 2025, I mean, Jador Sanders could be the first guy off the board if he has another great season. So I do think that there's some upside to potentially looking long-term with him, but certainly he's been one of the best players so far in college football. And again, it's going to be a different kind of challenge going against top-end defenses every week in the Pac-12, but he's certainly been up to the challenge so far.
1: Orange Jayaraj, CBS Sports, with us on the Press Box on ESPN Central Texas. You mentioned this game a little bit earlier, Ohio State and Notre Dame. I, I think this has the potential. Now, look, I think Colorado and uh, the game we were just talking about with Oregon probably will get the most views, but this one probably get the second most, and this could be a great football game between the Buckeyes and the Fighting Irish.
0: No, to me, when you talk about on-field, this has the potential to be the game of the year in my mind. Obviously, you know, there'll be others. Ohio State-Michigan will be a good game. Uh, You know, Notre Dame actually gets to play USC later in the year, which will be a lot of fun. But this is, I think, the first time – I mean, I've I've covered college football since 2013, and so the year after Notre Dame made the national title game. I don't remember a matchup against a top-five caliber opponent. Obviously, Ohio State's number six, but top-five caliber – where I felt like Notre Dame truly had a chance to go in and win the game. And I think they do this weekend. I think that they have elevated themselves to the point of competing with that top end of college football, obviously bringing in a quarterback in Sam Hartman, who I think has been one of the top five quarterbacks in college football this year and closer to one than to five, frankly. And I think that the other part of it, too, is when you look at Brian Kelly's struggles at Notre Dame against top opponents, It comes down to a lack of team speed especially on the outside at receiver well they've got a kid from Austin Texas and Jaden Greathouse who played uh, at Lake Travis Mm -hmm. he's been a big time player for them Brandon Merriweather is another track star type receiver that they brought in last year who's come out and and played really well this year Audric Estime at running back has uh, taken another level this year so I think that they're close I'm not I'm not going to sit here and pretend that they're running out the same kind of team speed and talent receiver that Ohio State is, who has probably the best receiving core in the entire country. Actually, no, probably. They do. But I do think that they have enough to compete. And the other part of it, too, Ohio State replaced both of their tackles from last season, both of whom were drafted in the NFL, including Paris Johnson uh, in the top 15 picks of the NFL draft they haven't replaced them at an elite level to this point. We saw some issues when they played even against Indiana, and they're going to have to deal with those issues with a freshman starting quarterback, too, or a redshirt sophomore, I believe he is, in Kyle McCord. So I think that there are enough factors to make this game a little interesting. And obviously, look, again, you look at uh, the the recent history of of Notre Dame, really the only sort of top-end victory that they've been able to have was when Clemson didn't have Trevor Lawrence for a game during the COVID season. I, I think they absolutely have the ability to come out and win this game.
1: When you look at Florida State and Clemson, and I know Florida State's number four in the country right now. Clemson sitting there, everybody thinks that oh they're down, they're down, they're not, they don't have a chance in this game. For me, I want to get your opinion. Could Clemson open up some eyes against Florida State this weekend?
0: Well, I think that one of the things that you always have to mention with a game like this is obviously there's a rivalry component. These have been the two signature programs in the ACC for, I mean, well over 10 years. And I think that, you know, you look at obviously Clemson has kind of taken the place of what Florida State was not just in the early 2010s, but what they were for a lot of the 90s and 2000s too. And so I think that Clemson does come into this game very motivated with a great game plan. If we know one thing about Garrett Riley, he's historically come out with a really, really good game plans. Mm-hmm. Um, Talent wise, offensively, I'm, I'm still just a little concerned about the receiver play. I don't know, you know, uh, Florida State has a great defensive back, Central Cypress. They've got a great first-round defensive end in Jared Verse, And obviously, on the offensive side of the ball, they've got pieces all over. So, so, on paper, Florida State should win this game pretty easily. But, you know, when you talk about Clemson's talent, when you talk about Clemson in the trenches, I mean, they have the ability to cause some issues, absolutely, for, uh, for Florida State. So, I do think this is going to be a close game. I do think this is going to be a fourth-quarter game. Florida state should win this game. I, I mean, just flat out, straight up, they should win this game, but I do think that Clemson's going to have at least one punch in them at the end of the game.
1: Shayhan, with all the top 25 matchups this week, is there any game that's kind of flying under the radar?
0: Yeah, well, I, I'll point to another top 25 game actually. And, uh, and actually you can check out my story on CBS sports.com. I, I kind of go into it a little bit, but Oregon state and Washington state are playing as ranked teams for the first time in the history of the matchup. Wow. And they're also, yeah, yeah. A hunt over, I believe 98 games. We're, We're talking never both been ranked teams at the same time. And we are talking about two programs that college football is very actively trying to leave behind, but I'll tell you what Oregon state is absolutely good enough to win the PAC 12 this year and Washington State. Uh, potentially has the ability to come in and crash the party as well. These are two fantastically good teams. Everybody's going to talk about Oregon and USC and Washington and, and even Utah after what they've done the past few years. But both Oregon State and Washington State are incredibly good. DJ Ewing uh, Anglele obviously coming in from Clemson to start for Oregon State. Defensively, they're really good. And, and by the way, a running back in Damian Martinez, who's actually from the state of Texas, from Louisville. And, and then on the other side, Washington State again. I'll, I'll pull in another Texas tie. The former, uh, the former Incarnate Word quarterback, mm-hmm. Cameron Ward, who, who obviously starred at West Columbia, has turned into one of the best quarterbacks in college football. So this is like an NFL quarterback matchup potentially. Two really good defenses, two exciting young head coaches should be a raucous atmosphere at Washington State. I, I think that this is going to be an incredibly fun game. Now they have the misfortune of the fact that their game is going up against Ohio State versus Notre Dame and <laughs> Baylor versus Texas. But if you've got a third screen out there, I, I'd encourage
1: you <laughs> to have this one. Han, let's talk about your Bears as they host the uh, number three Texas Longhorns at McLean Stadium, a sold-out McLean Stadium. And this could be the last meeting, or it will be for a little while for sure, but it could be the last meeting after 113 meetings between these two teams. H- how do you see this one going?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, for me, it's, it's very sad, honestly, to, to obviously lose this matchup as somebody who did go to Baylor as a Baylor grad who traveled to – actually, I believe I went to all four Texas versus Baylor games while I was in school, actually, because mm-hmm. that's just one of those games, uh, whether it's at home or on the road, that you just, you just want to go to, right? It's, it's a fun game. And so it's sad for me to lose that one. But I, at the same time, so you look at this matchup. One, I mean, Dave Aranda has to look at this game – as a potential program-changing opportunity, because it is. This is the last one of those things. Everybody remembers the Texas versus Texas A&M game in 2011, where uh, where obviously Texas is able to beat Texas A&M on a last-second field goal by Justin Tucker. This is how Baylor should be looking at this game. This is an opportunity. This is a chance to send Texas off with a loss, uh, obviously, in the history of their rivalry. And I, I think the other part of it, too, is you look at Texas right now. I mean, Texas is a flawed team. Obviously, they started 3-0. and They beat Alabama, although that win is aging a little tougher. Their other two games against Rice and Wyoming were not incredibly uh, impressive. And so if you're Baylor, I, I mean, look, I, I don't love the fact that Blake Shapen's is going to be out in this game. I don't know if Troy Robertson is ready for the moment. But this is an opportunity. I think that Baylor has the ability to cause Texas some issues, especially, uh, you know, down the field. They've been pretty good against the past so far this year outside of that Texas State game. Mm-hmm. And I think that offensively, you know, look, obviously last week was so much about just repping wide zone, trying to get those running backs ready. They've got to be ready. They've, they've got to be ready going up against this Texas defensive front. So I think that Texas is a little worse than they've played so far. I think that Baylor's probably a little better. I don't know if Baylor's good enough to win this game, especially with Blake Chapin out of the lineup. But I do think it's going to be close going into the fourth quarter. And look, again, I'll say it again. If Baylor's able to pull off this victory, that's a program-changing type win for Dave Aranda and what he's trying to accomplish here.
1: Jayhan Jayaraja, CBS Sports, with us here on the Press Box on ESPN Central Texas. Another game in the Big 12 that is intriguing me, Shehan, is the Iron Skillet with SMU traveling to Fort Worth to take on TCU. And TCU has said this rivalry will no longer take place uh, in the near future. I, for me, that's sad because I think this is a great Metroplex game each and every year, and it's been going for so long. But SMU coming in with a little burr under their saddle. No,
0: absolutely. And uh, it's not lost on me that TCU opted to stop playing this game right as they started losing a couple of these games. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that certainly when you look at SMU, I mean, I, I'm not going to compare it to obviously this Baylor, Texas game in terms of magnitude, but it's high. Th- this is obviously the last time that SMU is going to be sitting here as a member of a group of five conference. And they're, they're rolling right now. They've played really well. They they gave Oklahoma a little bit of a scare in Norman. And they have, I think, in my opinion, uh, potentially the better quarterback in this game with Preston Stone taking over under center. So it, it's going to be a big opportunity for them. It's going to be a big moment for them, obviously, like you mentioned, uh, j- just the fact that this game won't continue to go on yearly after this as well. So I do think that uh, that, SMU has some of the offensive pieces to be able to cause TCU some trouble on the other end. And defensively, they've looked better than I expected so far. They they added a couple pieces through the transfer portal to try to solidify that side of the ball. Uh, I believe their defensive coordinator, Scott Simon, came from Liberty and brought a couple of really nice pieces whenever, uh, whenever he came through as well. So, I, I do think it's going to be a good game. I do think it's going to be a close game. I probably... I, so, I, I think I lean... TCU in a very tight game but I think SMU is absolutely capable of winning it I feel like every game that I'm taking I'm like maybe enough <laughs> uh, but that's just kind of what kind of weekend it's going to be which should be a lot
1: of fun when you look at Texas Tech and Joey McGuire getting his first win against Tarleton State last week at home which there's no doubt that they should have now they go to West Virginia West Virginia is probably better than we thought and Morgantown's a tough place to play isn't it?
0: Yeah, this will be a big game, I think, for both of these programs because Neil Brown got a very, very significant win over Pitts last week. And obviously, Pitts reeling a little bit, but if you're Neil Brown, you have to have that game because if you lose that game and you fall to one and two and then you go and play Tech tech and TCU, that is a disaster situation for a coach trying to keep his job. Well, now I think that they build a little bit of momentum. They build a little bit uh, of confidence as well. And they were able to do it, by the way, without their starting quarterback, Garrett Green, which I think is also pretty significant. So I do think that this game looks a little tougher for Texas Tech than maybe it did a week ago. I do lean Texas Tech. I think that, you know, obviously after that Wyoming game, they've acquitted themselves very well. They frankly should have beaten Auburn in week two. And so I, I do think that they're going to come out and have the potential to make a statement. One thing to keep an eye on, obviously, there's been a lot of people calling for a quarterback change. Uh, Tyler shuck has been mm-hmm. all right, but Baron Morton has a little bit more upside out there, the, the sophomore from Eastland, Texas. So I, I do think it's going to be an interesting dynamic, especially if Shuck uh, struggles early. But I, I do think that Texas Tech manages to outlast West Virginia in this game.
1: Say, Han, is Oklahoma better than you and I thought they were at Big 12 Media Days?
0: I'm not convinced yet. I I know. I understand that, that obviously they played really, really well against some overmatched opponents, but they played one game against a team that wasn't quite as overmatched in SMU and didn't look very good. So obviously they've been able to sort of blitz Arkansas state. uh, And, you know, it's just, I don't know exactly how much that means. I, I don't know exactly how, how valuable that is in terms of evaluating it. Now, The thing I'll say about this upcoming game against Cincinnati is Cincinnati's offense is not very good. So I don't know that we'll necessarily learn a whole ton about Oklahoma's defense right now. But I do think we will learn quite a bit about Oklahoma's offense because that Cincinnati defense is pretty fearsome. Dante Corleone in the middle of that uh, Cincinnati defensive line is one of the best overall players in the Big 12. He's going to play in the NFL very, very soon. Uh, And, you know, the one thing that I think you say about Cincinnati's offense is, They have some real pieces. Corey Kiner at running back is, again, potentially a Sunday player as well. I'm a little skeptical of of Emory Jones at quarterback. I think he's been a little figured out during his stop. But I do think that this is potentially an opportunity for us to get uh, Oklahoma playing in some high leverage situations, to see them facing third and long, to see them you know, uh, have to get some red zone stops against a a group with some talent on the outside and at the skill position. So I'm not all the way there on Oklahoma as yet. I do want to see them tested. But the other thing, and I mentioned this uh, when we talked in the preseason, maybe Texas is the only team on the schedule that has the ability to do that. Maybe they'll just be able to go through and win 10 games without having to exert all that hard but i'm not all the way there yet on oklahoma though at the same time when you look at the state of the rest of the big 12 Mm -hmm. maybe not being there on oklahoma is enough to still finish second
1: so i've heard some noise about ucf too being a maybe a contender an outside shot that could be there at the end of the season how big a statement can they make if they go into bill snyder family stadium and beat kansas state this weekend
0: uh, and also beat them, by the way, without their starting quarterback, John Reese Plumlee, who's going to mm-hmm. be out for this one. This will be a big game for them, absolutely. And, uh, look, I, I don't expect them, and I, I don't hold them to the idea of being able to go in and win this game because Kansas State is really, really good.
1: But, mm-hmm.
0: uh, you know, if they had a chance to come out and if they were able to move the ball in offense and look potentially good, to me, McClain is a, is a really talented quarterback who's going to be starting for them. He was the full-time starter for South Florida, ironically their rival two years ago before red shirting last year behind John Reese Plumlee. So so this is a big opportunity, absolutely. And they have some really nice pieces in the trenches. They have a couple of really dynamic players at the skill positions. And the other part that you have to mention too is that Kansas State is a little hurt. There's a little broken down. Will Howard was hobbling at times last week in the loss to Missouri. Uh, you know, I think that their running back TreShaun Ward is also dealing with some nag- nagging injuries. So, I-, I think it'll be a great opportunity for them to prove that they can, uh, especially on the defensive side, get some stops against a talented, physical Big 12 offense. And so, if they were to come out and win this game, I think, I think that you have to put them in that group with Texas and Oklahoma right now as one of the uh, the top contenders in the Big 12. Now. It's a tough ask. It's a tall order. And uh, and certainly, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen in that one. But I do think that they have been a nice surprise team to this point. And I'm excited to see what they do now that conference play is starting.
1: Shehan Jay runs CBS Sports. And you can check all his stuff out at cbsports.com Shayhan certainly do appreciate the time. Always a pleasure. And have a great, fun weekend of college football. And we'll talk to you soon.
0: Sounds good. Thank you for having me.
1: You bet. Shehan J. Aranja, and check him out, cbsports.com. He's got some great stuff up there. You'll get the insight of college football from Shehan. Stay right there. Talk a little Rangers as we close out the show next on the Press Box on ESPN Central Texas.
0: Your leader in high school sports, ESPN Central Texas. <laughs>